We are continuing our series on the book of Daniel entitled, God's Vessel. Today, we will look at chapter 5 and the title of our message is, The King's Feast. I invite you to open your Bibles with me and follow along. First, allow me to share some more interesting facts about this book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is written in two languages, chapters 1 to the start of chapter 2 together with chapters 8 and 12 are written in Hebrew, while the middle part, chapter 2 to 7, are written in Aramaic. Hebrew was the language of the Jews, but Aramaic was the language of the Gentiles. During Daniel's time, Aramaic was the international language similar to the English language today. Now, why did the book of Daniel use Aramaic? Bible scholars suggest that since the book's middle section deals with God's plan for the Gentile nations, it's best to write it in Aramaic. That would allow the Babylonians and other Gentile nations to read and understand God's message as well. And this middle section also has a unique chiastic structure. These six chapters correspond to one another. Chapter 2 corresponds to chapter 7. Both chapters talk about the dreams, the image made of the four metals, and the dream about the four beasts. Chapter 3 parallels with chapter 6. It's about the three friends in the fiery furnace and Daniel in the lion's den. Then at the center is chapters 4 and 5 of Daniel. Both are parallel stories of two kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. These stories teach about pride and humility, and we can learn valuable lessons as we look at the similarities and differences of these two narratives. Now here's the outline of Daniel 5. The king's feast, the writing on the wall, the meaning and interpretation, and then the king's response. And here is the message or the theme of our message today. The Most High God humbles the proud and rewards the humble. The Most High God humbles the proud and rewards the humble. So before we continue, let us remember this important principle, especially when we read biblical narratives. God is the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. And as we read Daniel 5, let us be mindful of these questions. What does this story tell us about who God is and how he relates with people? What positive or negative examples can we learn from the characters as they act in obedience or disobedience? Let's begin. First, the king's feast. The king's feast. Verse 1. Belshazzar the king had a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. Here we were introduced to King Belshazzar. Now who is this king and where is King Nebuchadnezzar? History fills in the gap for us. Daniel 5 is set in the year 539 BC. At this time, King Nebuchadnezzar had already been dead for about 23 years. After Nebuchadnezzar died, three kings followed him, but they had very short reigns. After these three kings, Nabonidus took the throne. Nabonidus is found in the pages of history but not found in the biblical narratives. But for most of his reign, Nabonidus didn't even live in Babylon. He resided in Arabia while doing his military campaigns and he left his son, Belshazzar, in a capital as a co-regent. Belshazzar co-reigned with his father as second-in-command to rule the kingdom of Babylon. Nabonidus was not a direct descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, but scholars says that Nabonidus might have married either one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. Now, why do verse 2 and 11 say that Belshazzar's father was King Nebuchadnezzar? Again, Nabonidus was not a direct descendant, but he could have married one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. So that makes Belshazzar as Nebuchadnezzar's grandson and Nebuchadnezzar as Belshazzar's grandfather. 
Now, it's correct to say that Belshazzar was the father, or King Nebuchadnezzar was the father of Belshazzar because in the Hebrew expression, the word father could refer to one's ancestor, specifically the grandfather or the great-grandfather. So, this Belshazzar was King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson and successor. Now, verse 1 tells us that this king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. This event is one big party. And verse 2 tells us that Belshazzar's wives and concubines were also present. Food, wine, and women flowed abundantly at the banquet. And we could say that this is one big wild party. And what else? This event is also weird and strange because of its timing. Why? Because history tells us that at this moment, the armies of the Medo-Persian Empire had the city of Babylon surrounded. They were at the gates looking for a way to breach through the wall and capture the city. Also, by this time, King Cyrus of Persia had already defeated the Babylonian army and captured Belshazzar's father, Nabonidus. So Babylon was already defenseless. Belshazzar knew all of these incidents, but what did he do? He threw a party. Imagine a government on the eve of an invasion chose to have a dinner celebration. It's weird, right? But why did Belshazzar do it? Perhaps he was in denial. Maybe he didn't believe Babylon could be defeated, and he didn't think that anyone could breach through the thick walls of Babylon. Second, perhaps it was a political move to boost the morale of his people and to keep them united and break the feelings of doom. And third, perhaps it was a macho move to display that he and the whole Babylon were not scared. Now, we know that men can say and do stupid things when they are drunk, and kings are no exceptions. Look at what Belshazzar did. Verses 2-3 to When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the kings and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. The king ordered to bring out the holy cups that Nebuchadnezzar had removed from the Jerusalem temple. For what reason? So that they could all drink from them. Now, what's going on in Belshazzar's mind? I'm sure it's not because that they ran out of goblets. It was actually a move to show off his power. He brought out these articles to remind everybody of his greatness, of the great Babylon empire. And as the story unfolds, we'd see that Belshazzar committed two sins against God. First, he committed the sin of pride. In chapter 4, we saw Nebuchadnezzar's pride when he took credit for everything that he had achieved. And in this parallel story here in chapter 5, we also see Belshazzar's pride. Belshazzar took pride in what his father and his family had achieved and conquered for Babylon. And by drinking from these holy articles, he showed that he's not afraid to offend the God of Israel. He was a real man just like his father. Belshazzar blasphemed God by profaning the things associated with Yahweh. Now, blasphemy is an act of greatly dishonoring God through one's speech and actions. And in his pride, Belshazzar blasphemed God by misusing the objects associated with the worship of Yahweh. Now, think about it. Even Nebuchadnezzar understood the importance of handling holy things properly. Yes, he took the articles from Jerusalem temple. Yes, he brought them to the temple of his God in Babylon and put them in the treasure house of his God. But Nebuchadnezzar did not dare to defile the holy things by using it for everyday activities, much less 
for immoral ones. But Belshazzar, in his arrogance, he desecrated what God intended for a holy purpose. Now, Belshazzar's mockery of Yahweh did not end there. As verse 4 tells us, They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And this act is the second sin of Belshazzar. He committed the sin of idolatry. Idolatry. It is not surprising that King Belshazzar thought that the Babylonian gods, primarily Marduk, were more powerful than Yahweh. After all, Babylon conquered Judah. So for the king, that means that the Babylonian gods dominated and defeated Yahweh. But what made it even worse was this. Belshazzar used God's holy vessel to honor the lifeless idol of his own religion. The king, followed by all his guests, praised the gods made of gold, silver, iron, bronze, wood, and stone. Maybe it was also their way of praying to these gods to deliver them. This act was blasphemy. Belshazzar was openly mocking God. So what happened? That brings us to our next part, the writing on the wall. Verses 5 to 6. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. As the king and his subjects were mocking Yahweh and worshipping their idols, a supernatural hand appeared. Where? It appeared opposite the lampstand. The hand appeared in a brightly lit wall so it could be clearly seen. And what did the hand do? This mysterious hand started writing something on the wall. This incident is where we got the idiom, the writing on the wall, which is a way of saying that something terrible will happen soon. Now, whose hand is that? It is the hand that comes from Yahweh, the Lord of heaven, the Most High God. And as one preacher said, God interrupted the party with a divine graffiti. Next, what happened to the king? His drunken red face suddenly turned white. What he saw suddenly made him sober. And the passage says that his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. And some scholars say that this phrase may be an, a euphemism that says the king peed on his royal robe. And what do people do in times of crisis? And what do people usually do when they're scared? Usually, they turn to their religion. So with a shaking voice, the king called out as loud as he could to bring out the experts. And that brings us to verse 7. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. Sounds familiar? This is the third time that we see these groups being called in by the king. Like his father, Belshazzar, called for the conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. And as we learned last time, these wise men represent all human and worldly wisdom. And that's the king's religion. And that is his faith depended. Out of desperation, the king promised a great reward to any man who could read and interpret what the hand wrote. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. You see, purple robes and a gold chain are associated with royalty and power. And why did Belshazzar offer only third place in the kingdom? As we said earlier, Belshazzar served as co-regent with his father Nabonidus. Thus, Nabonidus was the first ruler and Belshazzar was the second. So the best thing that Belshazzar had to offer was the third place in the kingdom. But just like before, the wise men of Babylon failed to interpret the omen. Verse 8. 
Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. Now why couldn't the wise men read the inscription? Some say it's probably written in some sort of pictogram that the wise men were unfamiliar with. Or perhaps the wise men couldn't read it because it was in the Hebrew language. In any case, the point is the same. All human wisdom eventually fails to know and understand God's mystery. Now, in the middle of all this panic and chaos, the queen enters the scene. Verse 10. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. Now, who is this queen? It couldn't have been Belshazzar's wife. Remember in verse 2 and 3, that tells us that the king and his wives and concubines were already at the feast with him. This queen who entered was not part of the banquet. She only came in just now. So most likely, this person was the queen mother, the mother of Belshazzar. And what did the queen mother tell her son, Belshazzar? Verse 10, the queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods and in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom that the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, appointed him, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, let Daniel now be summoned and he will declare the interpretation. The queen mother, who's probably Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, had been around long enough to know Daniel. She also remembered the exact phrase that Nebuchadnezzar said, that the spirit of the holy gods is in Daniel. Now, the queen mother reasoned that someone who had the spirit of the holy gods could interpret dreams should also be able to interpret the writing. So you see, the queen, like Nebuchadnezzar, expressed confidence in Daniel, the queen described him as someone with an extraordinary or excellent spirit. And the fact that she called Daniel by his Jewish name shows her great respect for his faith. And that leads us to the third part of the story, the meaning and interpretation. Verse 13, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. Now Daniel was no longer a teenager. By this time, he's probably in his 80s. He's now an old man. We don't know why Daniel was not present at the banquet hall since the king had already summoned the wise men of Babylon. Perhaps he was appointed to a different position after King Nebuchadnezzar died. Or maybe Daniel was semi-retired at this time. But like before, God caused this incident to set up his servant Daniel. And once again, God used Daniel to honor his name. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. You say either the king just learned about Daniel from the queen, or he knew about Daniel but completely ignored him all these years. Notice his pride as he questioned Daniel. Aren't you the one of the exiles from Judah? Aren't you the one of those my father the king brought from Judah? This description was Belshazzar's way of highlighting Daniel's status, saying, You're just one of those people that we've conquered. Then the king adds, verse 15, Just now, the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me and that they might read this instruction and make its interpretation known to me, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. 
Did you hear that? The king himself admitted that the wisest men of the greatest empire at the time were unable to interpret the mysterious writing. Again, God showed the proud king and his subjects the limits of their human wisdom. And Belshazzar continued, verse 16. But I personally have heard about you, that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have the authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. The king repeated to Daniel what he said to the wise men. He promised to greatly reward him if he could just read the inscription and tell its interpretation. And how did Daniel respond? Verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts to yourself or give your reward to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. First notice how Daniel did not respond. Daniel did not start with the standard greeting, Long live the king! Perhaps because he already knew that Belshazzar was going to die in a few hours. Second, Daniel turned down the king's offer. Why? because he was not motivated by material rewards. Daniel never compromised from his youth and even now in his old age, and he lived his life doing what is right and honoring to God. Daniel agreed to interpret the writing's meaning for the king, but before Daniel gave his interpretation free of charge, he delivered a sharp rebuke to the king. Listen to what he said, verse 18. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar your father, because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive, and whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. Daniel reminded the king of these important truths about God. The first, God is the Most High God, El Elyon. In verse 23, Daniel described God as the Lord of heaven. He is the sovereign ruler of all creation. The Most High God is the highest in rank, highest in title, highest in position, and highest in wisdom. The Most High God is superior in strength, power, and authority. Therefore, no God, idol, or any created being should be worshipped and exalted above Him. Next lesson, the Most High God is the source of all human power. He is the one who gave Belshazzar's grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, the glory, majesty, power, and authority to rule over all the peoples and nations. So much so that whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. And Daniel continues, verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne, and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind, and his heart was made like that of beasts, and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven, until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over all the realm of mankind, and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Daniel reminded Belshazzar what had happened to his grandfather. Nebuchadnezzar, the very king who could humble people, refused to humble himself before the one who elevated him. He thought that since he was in charge of all the nations, no one was above him. Because of this thinking, Nebuchadnezzar learned this important lesson, that the Most High God humbles the proud. And that is what Daniel reminded Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn what who is really in charge of things, and it wasn't him. And God so humbled him. 
God took away all Nebuchadnezzar's glory. God brought him down to the status of beasts and wild animals. And this humbling went on until Nebuchadnezzar learned the lesson of humility, until he understood this truth. Only God is great, and I am not. Only God is great, and I am not. God is the one who is in charge, and the earthly kings only derive their authority from him. Nebuchadnezzar also learned that the Most High God rewards the humble. God restored Nebuchadnezzar after he humbled himself and recognized that the Most High God is ruler over all humankind and creation. In other words, Daniel teaches Belshazzar and us this truth. The Most High God humbles the proud and rewards the humble. The Most High God humbles the proud and rewards the humble. Daniel then indicted Belshazzar on two accounts. His first charge, he disregarded knowledge. Chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this, even though you knew all this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. Daniel said to the king, Belshazzar, you knew the stories about your grandfather, and you knew what God did to him. You also knew how your grandfather humbled himself before God and glorified him at the end. But despite knowing all these things, you refused to learn this lesson of humility yourself. Daniel presented Nebuchadnezzar as an object lesson that should have guided his successor. Instead, Belshazzar made the same mistake. He chose to remain proud and exalted himself. Not only that, the king also challenged the Most High God by defiling the temple articles. And instead of honoring the Lord of Heaven, he worshipped his idols. And that's the second indictment. Charge number two, he defied the Most High God, the Lord of Heaven. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of Heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. Daniel said to the king, you did not do this act in ignorance, and worse, you did this in defiance. Belshazzar proudly defied God by blaspheming him and worshipping his idols. Now Daniel pointed out Belshazzar's ultimate failure. Verse 23, But the God in whose hands are your life and breath and all your ways you have not glorified. But the God you have not glorified. You see, that is the root of all sin. The essence of sin is failure to glorify God. At its core, sin elevates the self above God. Let's read it again. The essence of sin is failure to glorify God. At its core, sin elevates the self above God. So brothers and sisters, reflect on your life. Who is it that you truly honor and glorify? Is it God or is it yourself? Be careful because sooner or later, God will prove that you are not the one in charge, but He is. Remember that eventually each of us will face God in whose hands is our breath and our ways. So may God help us. Now, what did God's hand write on the wall? Let's continue. Verse 25. Now, this is the inscription that was written out. Mene, mene, tekel, uparsin. These words, mene, tekel, and parsin are Aramaic words. On one level, these refer to money measurements. Mene is mina, tekel is a shekel, and peres is a half shekel. So two minus, a shekel, and a half shekel. So it can be a way of saying, you're just loose change. But there's another layer of meaning to which Daniel used to explain this writing. 
Mene sounds like the word for numbered, counted, or appointed. This word is doubled for stronger emphasis. Tekel sounds like the word weight or assessed. And farsin is meant to have double meaning. First, it sounds like the word Persians. Secondly, the plural form of Peres means divided or half, which alludes to the kingdom that will be divided. And the prefix U on Parsin is the equivalent of the English conjunction end. So, mene mene tekel u Parsin literally reads counted, counted, weighed, and divided. Belshazzar knew the words, but Daniel explained what they meant in its context. And here is the interpretation, verse 26. This is the interpretation of the message. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. God said to Belshazzar, You and your kingdom's days are numbered. And God repeated it twice for emphasis. Verse 27, Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. In Tagalog, sinukat ka ngunit kulang. God tells Belshazzar, you have been weighed in God's balance and found wanting. It's like saying, Belshazzar, you are full of yourself, but you have no substance. And Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. God tells Belshazzar, judgment is coming and your kingdom will be destroyed and divided by your enemies. Another way of saying it is this. The Most High God weighs kings and kingdoms in the balances of His justice and righteousness. Since you did not measure up to His demands for righteousness and mercy, the Lord of Heaven will destroy and divide and give away your kingdom. Friends, let us learn from the example of Belshazzar. Belshazzar failed to realize that although God was the God of a conquered people, He was not a conquered God. Just because God's people were defeated and exiled does not mean that their God is weak. So do not forget, the Most High God humbles the proud and rewards the humble. The Most High God humbles the proud and rewards the humble. Now let's go to the last part, the king's response. Verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave orders and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. After hearing Daniel's interpretation, what did the king do? Belshazzar proceeded to fulfill his promise. He honored Daniel and proclaimed him as the third ruler of Babylon. Daniel was promoted and it may seem meaningless since he had disposed for only a few hours. Nonetheless, God did not forget Daniel. God would reward him in due time as we will see in chapter 6. And in God's providence, he would still use Daniel in the Persian Empire. And ultimately, Daniel's promotion comes from God and not through pagan kings. Let me repeat that. Ultimately, Daniel's promotion comes from God and not through pagan kings. Now let's go back to our story. Sadly, the king only promoted Daniel. Even after hearing God's judgment, he never responded in repentance and humility. And that's the difference between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. The Most High God pronounced judgment to both kings. King Nebuchadnezzar re responded with humility and repentance, and he acknowledged the Most High God. So God restored him and his kingdom. But the opposite is true of Belshazzar. Belshazzar kept his pride, and he did not even show remorse. So that same evening, God took away his life, verse 30 to 31. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain, so Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. You see, God's word is reliable and true. 
God's word is reliable and true. What he said through Daniel about Belshazzar immediately happened. Not only that, what God said 60 years before came to pass. We now see the movement from the head of gold to the chest and arms of silver as Daniel predicted decades before. The Babylonian Empire is divided and given to two peoples, the Medes and the Persians who represented the silver chest and arms in Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, both of them joined forces to overthrow Babylon. The Persian and the Medes conquered Babylon in October 539 BC, and this event ushered in a new era of Persian dominance. Now let's go to summary and application. Today we've learned this important lesson. The Most High God humbles the proud and rewards the humble. So then, how should we respond? Let me give you these applications. First, fear the Most High God. Fear the Most High God. Today, many people fear a lot of things. Economic crisis, war, sickness, suffering, and other calamities. But only a few people live in fear of God. Others consider God as non-existent, while others treat Him like a genie who only exists to help us in our personal plans. But this story in Daniel 5 reminds us that God is the hero of the story. He is the big God, and He is the God Most High, who is the Lord of Heaven. God controls world history, and He is in charge of our personal stories. Thus, He is not someone whom we should treat lightly, but He is someone whom we should fear. Why? Because God will judge the proud. And that is our second application. Remember that God will judge the proud. Remember that God will judge the proud. God has preserved these stories in the book of Daniel for our instructions. So let us learn from the story of, the, of King Belshazzar. Do not forget that God punished the king because of his pride. And in his arrogance, the king did not learn from the story of his own grandfather. Think about your life. Like Belshazzar, is God calling your attention? Could there be a handwriting on the wall of your life? Perhaps it's a crisis, a painful experience, or a rebuke from someone? Be careful not to commit the same mistake by remaining proud. As you face your trials, instead of asking, how can I get out of this difficulty? Ask yourself, what is God trying to teach me? Is there an area of pride in my life that God is revealing? So may God help us. Also, be careful not to dishonor God in your thoughts, speech, and actions, especially when you are in a position of power and influence. Instead, live in the light of this truth, Proverbs 16 and James 4. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that brings us to our last point. Be humble and glorify God. Be humble and glorify God. God has preserved these stories in the book of Daniel also for our encouragement. In chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar became proud, so God punished him and stripped him of all his glory. But when he humbled himself before the Most High God, God restored him. In the same way, when we repent, God will restore us. When we humble ourselves, God will reward us in his time and in his ways. So ask yourself this question. Is there an area of your life that God asks you to repent of and to surrender to Him? Confess your sins and return to God. Is God asking you to wait on Him? Then endure and remain faithful. Be like Daniel who served God faithfully from his youth until his old age. Whatever crisis you are facing and whatever challenges you are going through, trust God's word, honor Him, 
and glorify Him in everything that you do. Trust God's Word, honor Him, and glorify Him in everything that you do. Now, what's the most significant act of humility that we could ever do? How can we glorify God? You see, our greatest act of humility happens when we fully surrender our lives to Christ. And we glorify God when we entrust our lives to Jesus, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's read that again. Our greatest act of humility happens when we fully surrender our lives to Christ. And we glorify God when we entrust our lives to Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, God's judgment upon us will come soon because the writing on the wall tells us that we are guilty before God. God has weighed us in the scale of His righteousness and holiness, but we have failed to measure up. But here is the good news. By God's grace, Jesus took our sins upon Himself and nailed it to the cross. And if we humbly repent from our sins and turn to Christ in faith, He will forgive our sins, save us from the coming judgment, and make us part of His eternal kingdom. And as Colossians 2 tells us, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary against or hostile towards us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Friends, this is the good news of Christ. So what will be your choice? Will you humble yourself and trust Jesus? Will you glorify God? and surrender your life to Him? May God help us. Remember, the Most High God humbles the proud and rewards the humble. The Most High God humbles the proud and rewards the humble. Let us pray. O God Most High, Creator of the heavens and the earth, You alone have all the power, the glory, the majesty, dominion, and authority. You are the God who is worthy of our praise. You are the God who is worthy of our worship. We come before you with thanksgiving. Thank you so much for the message that you have given us through your word, through Daniel. Thank you for the lesson that through Belshazzar that you taught us that indeed we are to humble ourselves before you because you hate pride and you do not want people who are arrogant. Father, we come before you. Help us to live a life that is pleasing before you. Help us to glorify you in every way. Help us to surrender our lives, to trust you once more and completely rely on you. We ask, O oh God, that you enable us to live a life of humility, a life of faith, a life of total dependence and surrender. Father, you know our hearts are sinful, and we ask that you expose our pride in our hearts, but enable us, O oh God, more than anything, more than just feeling guilty, Lord, over our, our sin of pride. Enable us and empower us by your Spirit to return back to you, to come to you once more and ask for forgiveness, to humble ourselves and be contrite before you. Help us, O God, restore us as we return to you. Enable us, O God, to experience your love, your mercy, your grace and forgiveness. Father, thank you for this day. We ask, O Lord, that you enable us to know you more as we go through our lives. Help us, Lord, to face our difficulties and challenges. For those of us who are sick, we ask, O oh God, for your healing grace. Have mercy on us. To you, Lord God, alone can we run. You are our great healer. You are the God who created us. We ask, O oh Lord, give us a taste of your resurrection power. Restore our bodies. Make us whole. Enable us, O oh God, to uh, 
Be well, be physically well, and help us, Lord God, to recover from our sickness. We pray, O Lord, for those of us who are struggling who are struggling financially, we pray that you provide for our needs. Bless us, O God. Our eyes look to you to provide, Lord God, for our daily bread in the proper time. Help us to trust in your provision, in your timing, in your in your ways. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. We pray, Lord God, for our country as we prepare for these upcoming elections this uh, May. We ask that you help us to choose wisely, to vote well, but more importantly, to do everything, Lord God, also to glorify your name. And as one country, help us, Lord, to work together as we recover from this COVID pandemic, completely heal our land, be the one to enable us to recover um, in, in our health, to have recovery economically, and to be back to normal, oh God. We pray and ask that in everything, help us not to trust in people, not to trust in the government or even the science but ultimately to trust in you and put our hope in you and you alone thank you so much you are the god who is worthy of all our praise help us to bow down only to you and you alone our lord jesus christ to you alone be glory dominion authority majesty all glory belongs to you and you alone our lord jesus christ thank you for today all these things we pray through christ our lord amen and amen Thank you once more for joining us. I hope that we will be empowered by God's word as we face another challenging week. God bless us all. See you again next time.